the experience of being the person we are and the way that we experience the world is driven by these chemical processes going on in our bodies. And, you know, when it comes to our experience of who we are, like the two key things, right, are our neurotransmitters and our hormones. And those like create the experience of our personality and, and everything else about us. That's a signaling software. I mean, that's what our brain uses to communicate. And you can't change your hormones and not change who the person is. Well, hello everyone and welcome to Couch Talk. I'm super excited with our guest today. We're gonna to talk with Dr. Sarah Hill about the birth control issue and hormonal changes as we age, as well as the consequences of the birth control pill to better inform you whether you've been on the pill never on it or are trying to have this discussion with maybe your daughter. Now, you know, I have four daughters. So we've had birth control pills discussions for a number of years as they are now ages 11 to age 31. This has been a topic that's come up. Birth control for acne, birth control for period regularity, birth control for PMS. And fortunately, my girls have been on board to naturally regulate some of the side effects and symptoms through the healthy, healthy diet, healthy choices, supplements, and just more of a natural route and understanding that this is the body's normal changes, as well as a couple have been on birth control pills for a period of time when they've needed to. So this is a discussion that we should be having to have this open conversation and know our risks. Now, I'm a gynecologist. I've prescribed thousands of prescriptions of birth control. And I didn't know all the risks, all the consequences that are going to be brought up today with Dr. Sarah Hill. So I am thrilled to bring this to you. And I am just back from a three-week trip with my daughters, actually homeschooled my 11-year-old while we were away for three weeks traveling, Switzerland and Italy and Holland and Poland. I gave a couple like lectures, actually three lectures to a medical conference in Poland and a lecture in Switzerland to an amazing group of ladies. So it has been a journey. And guess what? All around the world, women and men are having the same issues with hormonal issues, the hormonal fluctuations, the transition of perimenopause and menopause and suffering. So the sooner we can correct our hormones, that those times and transition years and where we're using the birth control pill, or when we're, we're looking to increase our fertility in our 40s, what we need to know, what are the risks and what are the benefits? And also one big issue that I've had as a gynecologist is when clients would come into me on birth control pills at 52, 54 years old, just because they needed to modify their, their periods or regulate their periods during the crazy transition time. And there's other things we can do. There are really other things we can do. And irregular periods, PMS, these are symptoms of an underlying physiologic issue. Well, let's get started with our guest. And this is Dr. Sarah Hill. I want to share a little bit about her. She is truly has an amazing history. She is a PhD from the University of Texas in Austin. And she earned that in 2006 in the emerging field of evolutionary psychology. She has quickly become a leading expert in health and relationships. Dr. Hill has published dozens of papers on topics such as eating, 
sexual behavior, inflammation, and romantic relationships. In her new book, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, Dr. Hill has turned her expertise to uncovering what we know and don't know about the impact of birth control pill on the brain. So again, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control. It is available now. And it is a good read and eye-opening, plus the science, the little-told science behind this widely, widely prescribed medication. We need to know the ins and outs of this. So here we go. Well, hello, Sarah. Great to have you with us and my audience today to talk about this very important topic. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Now, where is home for you? Home is Colleyville, Texas. We're in the suburbs of um, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And you did graduate school at Austin, Texas, one of my favorite cities. I love Austin. Yeah, that was actually my first real time in Texas was Austin. And it's like one of the coolest cities in the U.S. for sure. And now you have two girls at home or two children. I do. I have two children. I've got one daughter and one son. So I'm like living the best. I'm living my best life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I like how one of the chapters you put in the book is a letter to my daughter, you know, the letter to my daughter about birth control. And so we're going to definitely hit on that today. We're going to hit on the cortisol topic that you brought up. But first, I want you to kind of tell why you're so passionate, why you, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work to write a book. It's a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice. And what made you write this book? Yeah. So I was on the birth control pill for more than a decade of my life. And all the, you know, while I was on the pill, I was getting my PhD, you know, I was in college and I'd spent my career, um, including my time in graduate school and now my career as a psychologist, I'm studying women and studying health and studying relationships um, and even studying the effects of hormones on what women's brains are doing and how it influences women's um, behavior and sort of how they think and they feel. So I'm studying all of this stuff over here. And then I'm on the pill over here and I never connected the idea that my birth control pills, you know, which are influencing my sex hormones would be influencing any of these things that I had been studying, you know, for my career. And then I went off of it. And when I went off of the birth control pill, I felt like I woke up. It was about three months afterward. And I was noticing that in the last little while I'd started going to the gym again. And I was sort of concerned with my appearance in a way, like it just felt sort of like, I felt feminine, I felt sexy, I was like sort of in tune with my femininity, I was cooking again and listening to music. And I was like, interested in sex again, and like thinking about sex. These were all things I thought I had matured out of when I was in college. Like I thought, oh, well, I'm more mature now. And, you know, I don't have that much time to be thinking, you know, I'm studying, I'm not going to be thinking about sex or what I'm going to do with my hair today or listening to downloading new music. But all of those things, that person that I was before kind of came back. And I realized, you know, I think that my birth control pills might have been sort of dampening my sort of experience as a human. And, and I thought it was too crazy to be true. But then as I began to learn more, I went into the research literature because as a research psychologist, I have access to these databases that have like all the papers, like all the science, you know, the scientific uh, research papers on the way that the pill influences the brain and the way that it influences women's behaviors and cognition and 
all these other things. And so I, I downloaded every paper that had been published that had the keywords, you know, oral contraceptives or hormonal contraceptives and so on and so forth. Um, and really learned everything that had been done on the birth control pill in the brain. And it was then that I had this, I mean, it was really sort of an, like an epiphany that of course, my hormonal birth control was going to be influencing what my brain was doing. And it's, you know, even though I knew as a scientist that there are hormone receptors, sex hormone receptors all over the place in the brain, I mean, they're everywhere. It never, never occurred to me (laughs) that my pill would change what my brain was doing. And so it was like sort of this epiphany. And then I wanted to put all the information that I had learned um, that I didn't know. And again, you know, given my field of research, um, I really should like it should have occurred to me, this information should have occurred to me. And so um, I should have at least thought to look it up, but this information hasn't been available to women up until now. And so I wanted to get this information, put it in one place, make it really easy to understand, and then give this information to women. So that way, when they are making decisions about themselves or about their daughters, or just talking with their daughters and their girlfriends and their sisters and their doctors about the birth control pill, they can have a better idea of sort of the the impact that it has on psychological functioning. I mean, it also, I think, will give women a language to describe their experiences. Because I think that, you know, when we talk to women about the way that hormones influence them, and, and this is definitely true with the pill, but it's true with other things like menopause and other things where when women, they don't have a language to explain. Like, I feel not like myself. Like I feel cloudy, I, you know, and, and so giving women sort of an experience to read about their experiences and describing the psychological processes that might be contributing to this for a lot of women is going to be very edifying and sort of giving them finally a, a language to explain these things that women have been talking about with their girlfriends forever. Yeah. And I think that's exactly true is that also the symptoms that we're experiencing aren't in our head, right? You make a great case for how our hormones run our bodies, right? And and run our behaviors. So physiology drives behavior. So it runs to reason that dampening, not just the ovarian, we think, okay, we're just shutting down the ovaries, but we're also shutting down the uterus and we're decreasing this normal ebb and flow of hormones and feedback loops to the brain by shutting this really important great energetic process down, right? We're shutting down this great energetic process. So one of the things that you talk about in the book, making that connection of how the birth control pills dampens the cortisol response. Let's talk about that too, because that's that whole living life in color versus dull. Yeah. And this is something that for me was one of the big differences I noticed when I was off of the, when I went off of the pill is that I just felt I felt more vibrant. Life just felt more three-dimensional and sort of textured and rich. And part of the reason for this is undoubtedly some of the differences that we see between uh, pill-taking and naturally cycling women in terms of their HPA axis response. So the HPA axis is that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is terrible. And I will never say that again, but it's (laughs) your brain's communication pathway that um, leads to the release of the stress hormone cortisol. Cortisol, it has kind of a bad reputation because people think like, oh, cortisol is bad. Cortisol causes stress, you know, blah, 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 blah. But cortisol isn't what causes stress. And like life, life is what causes stress. And cortisol is actually part of the way that our body helps cope with stress. And that includes bad stress. So things like being stuck in traffic or having to give a presentation in front of a group of people, 
um, but also good stress. Like um, sometimes, you know, some of the most potent elicitors of cortisol release in the body are things like falling in love and like Christmas morning in children causes a big surge in cortisol. And it's part, it's the way that our body responds to things in the environment that are meaningful. It's basically saying, here's something meaningful and something exciting might happen or something terrible might happen. And it's sort of getting your body ready to deal with whatever possibly could happen next. And so experiencing this like big surge in cortisol when important things are happening allows us to be able to you know, pay attention to whatever it is that's causing, you know, the stress response, whether it's this new romantic partner that we're falling in love with, or whether it's, you know, the wildebeest stampede (laughs) that we're trying to get away from. And it flags those things as being really important, right? It helps, it increases perceptual vigilance, and it helps to filter things into our long-term memory. And it does a bunch of other things that contribute to uh, managing a stress response. And uh, what they find with women on the birth control pill is that they don't have this big surge in cortisol response in response to stressful situations. So, um, you know, when women are feeling, they usually do this by doing a public speaking paradigm where they have women giving a speech and then they measure their cortisol um, after they do this. And there's usually a big dynamic increase in levels because your body is getting ready to, you know, it's responding to the stress and kind of getting mobilizing the body's resources to deal with the stressor. Um, but pill-taking women don't have that. They have this blunted cortisol response. And this is something that we usually only see in the context of chronic stress. So usually we don't see this sort of a lack of cortisol response um, unless somebody has yeah, PTSD, they've um, experienced trauma or prolonged exposure to extreme stress. So this tells us a few things. Like it tells us one, there it might there's probably something going on with the pill, and we don't yet know what it is from the research that's leading to the stress system, the stress response system becoming completely overwhelmed. Um, because when this happens, like in the context of trauma, um, the body actually shuts the stress response off, and that seems what's happening with pill-taking women is there's there's a lot of different signaling pathways and I'm not going to get into them because it will just bore everybody to tears, but there's a lot of different steps in the signaling pathway between the brain and cortisol release, each of which is being tuned down by the body. They're all in, and that's usually the only type of thing that you see when the body is just like shutting down the stress response. So it's not just a problem with cort not being like cortisol, not being released. It's like the whole signaling pathway is like, is each step is showing evidence of being shut down intentionally. And the um, there's been research now looking at differences in brain scans of women who are on the pill versus off of the pill. And the brains of women who are on the pill look like the brains of people who've had trauma and exposure to chronic which is this idea that something in the pill is causing the stress response to become overwhelmed and then shutting down the stress response. Now, you know, this might sound like, wow, it's amazing to have the stress response turned off, but that to sort of circle back to the idea of this vibrancy and this lack of sort of dimension in experiences, you know, cortisol, one of the ways that we can sort of think about what it does is that it helps us absorb our environment, right? And so when really good things are happening, we're falling in love, it's Christmas morning, it's like cortisol is part of how our body is sort of embedding those events, those meaningful events into our memories and making us feel you know, it's, it's life and even stressful things like um, not necessarily traffic, but giving an important presentation or something, a stressful deadline at work. I mean, these are like part of 
what makes life meaningful, right? Is these like little blips in activity that, you know, we're having to sort of, you know, manage and cortisol helps, you know, put those and flag those things and put them into our memory and not having that, not having that dynamic surge in cortisol in response to stress may, to start with it, it probably decreases women's ability to cope with stress, which can lead to depression and anxiety. And there's some evidence linking pill use to both of those things but also just even feelings like a loss of vibrancy because you're not sort of, your brain isn't grabbing on to the meaningful things in your environment and it might make your life feel more one-dimensional and flat. You know, this is really interesting and you've given me a lot of food for thought. For one thing, I got to tell you a funny story though, because when I public speak, that is exactly what happens. My um, cortisol shoots way up. I'm, I'm certain because I was wearing a 24 hour 14 day blood sugar monitor and fasting i got up to speak for a conference of a thousand people and my blood glucose fasting went up to 150 yeah yeah i know that's exactly what i know mean. that's the power of it yeah no and that's like a, and that's like such a big right because that's what court does like that's another one of the things that it does is it dumps sugar into your bloodstream so another possibility and then and i don't mean to interrupt you but it's just that because it seems like something's going on, and again, this is not well characterized yet, where pill-taking women are having a surge in stress hormone signaling, at least initially when they're on the pill before the stress system shuts itself down, all of that dumping of sugar into the blood could potentially increase women's risk of diabetes and prediabetes and hyperglycemia and some other things. And so this is not um, something that I really spend a whole lot of time speculating on in the book just because I'm not, you know, I'm a psychologist. And so it's kind of like, outside my domain of expertise. And I tried to really do a good job of not doing that. But yeah, that's a possible, a real possibility. Well, and then the good thing about it, right, that spiking cortisol, because we're on, right, we're on, we're higher performing at that point, and then our brain needs that extra glucose. So that's in a really good adaptive response. So imagine what it would be if that would be dulled, right? The other thing is wondering too about this blunting of cortisol with the birth control pill if it is also blunting oxytocin. Well, I imagine it is because when we ovulate and the corpus luteum, we're going to secrete some oxytocin with that. So, and that delicate um, balance between oxytocin and cortisol. So then that dullness, that lack of oxytocin among that blunted cortisol you know, maybe, maybe that's part of the right. story and it also, too. So, and here's another piece with the oxytocin thing that I found, um, I read about and I was like, but with this, they did a study with pill takers and non-pill takers and they gave them um, internasal oxytocin. Normally when you do that, you give somebody internasal oxytocin and you show them photographs of their romantic partner their brain lights up like a Christmas tree. It's like, oh, you know, there's my love of my life. And you get all of these, you know, like warm, fuzzy, and your brain is doing all of the happy things and your reward pathways are lighting up. And if you look at a complete stranger, the same thing doesn't happen, right? And so it's just this idea that oxytocin sort of primes the brain to respond in a rewarding way to the face of those who are in our groups and that sort of thing and, and people we love. And what they found was, was with pill takers, and this is even with administering oxytocin, right? Which suggests that it's not just the, the levels of oxytocin, but the signaling pathway. They gave the women internasal oxytocin. They showed them photographs of their romantic partners and strangers and nothing. 
it was really sort of a lot. Like, shocking. It's shocking. Yeah. And I, I almost said alarming. I don't want, I don't want alarm because I don't think well, I know, but a- I'm just thinking right now I've written thousands of birth control prescriptions in my 30 years and so 25 years as a gynecologist, thousands of birth control prescriptions. And I didn't know these consent issues that really, you know, we need to be aware of, like we want informed consent. Every one of us, we're going to make a decision. I always choose my vices. I know they're a vice, but I'm choosing it. Right. Right. Exactly. We have to be able to choose what works for us at this time. So that informed consent is huge. And, And this research isn't new. I think that once the research gets more advanced and we know more about what individual formulations of these different types of progestins and what receptors are binding to, and like the more we know about all of this, like I don't necessarily know that every single pill is doing this, right? It's just because normally when they do this research, it's like these women are on the pill, these women are not on the pill, but you know, we need more research to know whether or not this happens with everything. And especially where I thought you were going to go with that, I mean, it is an important thing is like, I'm sure that a lot of the pill prescriptions that you were writing were to new mothers because when you first have a baby and even if you're nursing, usually I was on a progestin only pill when I was breastfeeding. And if you're not nursing, a lot of times I'll just put you on a combination pill. And if this signaling pathway with oxytocin is getting messed with, It's like, I think that could be contributing to the rising numbers of women with postpartum depression because they're not bonding with their children. Because if there's something being messed up with the signaling pathway with oxytocin and they're not, and they're holding their infant and looking at it and just feeling like this is a little stranger, you know, instead of getting that reward pathway going like it usually does, I mean, that's really provocative and it's um, potentially really important. And this is like really important research. Nobody has done this, right? They've done research showing that oxytocin signaling problems are associated with postpartum risks. And now there's this research showing that the pill, when you're looking at your romantic partner, like it doesn't seem like your brain is flagging that as somebody important anymore when you're on the pill. So the idea that that might be going on with women's babies is like really, really important. And I think it could end up, we're putting some effort into this research. It could really sort of change the way that we approach postpartum fertility regulation. Mm-hmm. That is huge. And and definitely I've been a proponent of the Paragard, the non-hormonal IUD, but also recognizing that if that's interrupting the oxytocin signaling pathways, right? Bonding, breastfeeding, those are issues. And from a childhood perspective, adult social behaviors, right? So if they're not having that, you know, a, a deeper connection and bonding, and I'm not saying that's the case, but how interesting, how interesting. And, you know, I think of rising rates of autism and I think, okay, well, what we're giving the mom is going to the baby too. And that's affecting oxytocin signaling pathways too in autism. So the other thing too is progestin versus progesterone. And I I do want to make a point here is that often for postpartum depression, when I became more aware of bioidentical progesterone, I would use bioidentical progesterone as a, they're essentially their antidepressant while breastfeeding or otherwise, because it helped them get a good night's sleep. It helped them feel better. You know, they felt more awake and alert. So there's a difference between the progesterone and the progestins. What have you found in your research? Well, so, um, you know, the birth control pills that are, are available, you know, and all this, all progestins, like there's not any sort of a bioidentical that's used. And each one is manufactured from a different, it's actually synthesized from a totally different chemical. And in 
almost all of the cases. So in the first, the, the, the progestins are divided up into four different generations. I'm um, just based on when they appeared on the marketplace. And so like there's the first generation, which was the original, right? The, the OP, the original progestin. And now we're up to fourth generation progestin. So there's, and they're all still in use and each one's a little bit different. Um, the first three generations are all made out of testosterone. They're then starting with like a progesterone molecule. They start with a testosterone molecule and then tinker with its chemical structure in ways that allows it to stimulate the progesterone receptors in the brain and throughout the body. But it also um, sometimes also stimulates other receptors. It stimulates testosterone receptors which is why some women get things like breakouts and hair in places that they don't want hair when they're on the pill because their, their testosterone receptors are also being stimulated. The cortisol issue, maybe my guess is what's happening based on some, I read some research in a chemistry journal, which I don't recommend to anybody to do because it was like my, my eyes were crossing and I had to like call in reinforcements just to make sure I was understand. Like, do I understand what's happening here? And my chemist friend was like, yes, like you're doing a very good job. But there's some research showing that um, some of these progestins um, have some binding affinity for cortisol receptors and that they stay on there but then it doesn't seem like they have good binding affinity. And I don't know what that means, but I, I mean, I know what it means mechanistically. I don't know what that means, like sort of physiologically, like, like what, what does it mean when it, it, it stimulates the receptor and then stops stimulating the receptor? This is like the, one of the battle, cro- like the things that I keep repeating in the book, unfortunately, is, well, we need more research on this. You know, here's what we know. And here's what we don't know. But um, some of these progestins, I think, might be um, also stimulating cortisol receptors. And I think that might be why we're getting this overwhelming of the stress response that's causing it to shut down. Because these things are tinkered from something else. They're sort of, I call them Franken hormones, right? Because they're like sort of, you know, created from these other things and sort of made to be something else. The only one that is not made out of testosterone is it's one of the fourth generation progestins and it's made out of a diuretic actually that's uh, manipulated. I can't pronounce the word. Spironolactone? Is it from spironolactone? Yes. Yeah. It's like, I've written it down a hundred times. I can't pronounce it. (laughs) So one of the fourth generation progestins is is made out of a modified, uh, chemically altered version of that. And so each one of these is, I mean, they're all Franken hormones, right? And so they're all going to do things besides stimulate progesterone receptors. And that is why I think we get such a, I mean, that's part of the reason that we get so many unusual and surprising side effects that we get with the birth control pill. That's a great point. And then two, how birth control pills affect our choice in mates. And, you know, we talk about the blending effect of birth control pill on the surge in oxytocin or the receptivity to our mate when seeing that photograph. But how does like being on birth control help us choose our mate? Right. So there's been about, for about 30 years now, researchers researchers have been demonstrating women's sex hormones play an important role in terms of um, who they're attracted to and even just their sexual responsiveness, like how sort of attuned they are to men and how attuned they are to sexual communication and how attuned they are to sex and how much they want to have sex. And what this research all finds is that the sex hormone estrogen is really like sort of drives the bus in terms of it motivates our interest in sex and desire for sex and how much we're thinking about men. And it also increases the priority that women place on sort of what we'll call like sexiness cues in men. So um, traits that have historically been linked with the sex hormone testosterone in men. So things like a chiseled jaw and like a nice, you know, brow ridge and broad shoulders, deep voices, 
swagger, you know, um, these kinds of things that are associated with testosterone. Women, when at the sex hormone estrogen is high or when fertility is high across the cycle, women tend to really place a, an emphasis on these kinds of sexy qualities. So researchers more recently then were interested in what happens in the pill, because when you're on the pill, you know, you, it keeps women's own levels of estrogen very low. And the ratio of artificial estrogen to synthetic, you know, progestin is such that progestin is the overwhelming hormone, right? So it's like women, it's trying to mimic in the brain, it's trying to pretend it's progesterone, a progesterone dominant state. So that way the brain doesn't start the cascade that begins the maturation of the egg and ovulation and the whole thing. You know, levels of estrogen are low. And in terms of the artificial hormone she's taking, it's, it's a perpetually progestin dominant state. So we should expect that, you know, it's possible that given that estrogen is what sort of fuels women's interest in sex, women's, you know, sort of interest in men and the priority that they place on like sexiness, that um, women, when they're on the pill might actually choose partners that have fewer of these markers of testosterone. So they might choose partners who have less masculine faces. And they might choose partners, they might sort of emphasize qualities other than sexiness and sexual appeal in their choice of partners when compared to naturally cycling women. Now, this sounds like a good thing. So what's yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just curious no, about it, divorce rates now. No, and, yeah, well, no, and actually it's really interesting because the research that has been done looking at the divorce rate, uh, divorce is less frequent among women. It was in this large sample of women. They found that women who chose their partners when they were on the pill we're less likely to be to get divorced later than women who chose their partners while naturally cycling. What was also sort of interesting is that when the p women who chose their partners on the pill did get divorced, they were eight times out of 10, they were the ones who initiated it, which is also consistent with this idea that maybe, you know, if you're on the pill and you choose your partner and then you go off the pill and all of a sudden you're prioritizing these cues, you know, like for sexiness and sexual appeal and these things that really weren't important to you before, that that potentially could cause problems in the relationship. And I've heard that now from a number of women anecdotally who've told me their story about, I went, this is not sound like the craziest thing you ever heard, but I went off the birth control pill and I'm not attracted to my boyfriend anymore. And this sort of thing um, I've heard anecdotally, and now there's some research evidence also suggesting that if women choose their romantic partners when they're on the birth control pill, and then they go off of the birth control pill, that it does or it can influence their relationship satisfaction and sexual satisfaction in their marriage. And what the research finds is whether that change is positive or negative depends on how attractive their partner is. And so women who chose their partners when they were on the pill if they go off of the pill and they're partnered with somebody who's attractive, they actually report being more sexually attracted to their partner. They report being more sexually satisfied and they report more relationship satisfaction than they did prior. Now with women who chose as partners, less attractive men, when they go off the pill, you find the opposite. So they actually, these women report having lower relationship and sexual satisfaction after they go off the pill. And again, the idea here is that when you're on the pill, it just might cause you to sort of prioritize a certain, you know, one set of qualities um, instead of another set of qualities. And there's research showing that women who chose their partners on the pill are more satisfied with their partner's financial provisioning ability and their partner's intelligence. And it's probably because those are the kinds of things that they're sort of prioritizing when they're no longer sort of 
also really in tune with these sort of, you know, sexiness qualities and, you know, women who would choose their partners when they were um, on the pill report being more satisfied with most of the sexual aspects of their relationships. And so, you know, whether this is a good thing or, or a bad thing, you know, it was really up to a, an individual woman and her life goals, right? Because, um, again, this is like information to have not to get alarmed about, but rather just to, uh, to take into consideration, like, what do you, like, what do you want, you know, for your life? Like, what are your goals, you know, and how can you sort of use this information to best strategize your birth control and even mating, you know, strategies? Well, you know, and this is where it comes again to physiology drives behavior. And, you know, talking about this makes me think of a conversation I had with in another podcast with Alison Armstrong, who is studying male and female. And one thing she says, she said, the guy you're attracted to and you can't be yourself with because you're trying to be, you're being someone else with because you're so attracted to him and you just want to be theirs completely, like avoid that situation. Just avoid the situation. Choose all, you know, make sure you know your non-negotiables and all these other things. Don't just completely, if you're feeling head over heels, don't let that sway you in a choice for a life mate. So that's that's kind of interesting too to think about it from both. So if we're looking for, you know, what, what we're looking for, what feeds our attractiveness and then that attraction and that kind of that, that balance for quality of life and longevity and, and a marriage, but making, it's interesting. I'm really I'm fascinated by this topic and this subject and also how birth control pill influences that. Another thing I see often actually lecture to hormone docs all the time about this issue is that, you know, hormone replacement so other than the birth control pill does blunt certain things. And I believe in a healthy menopausal transition. I don't believe in completely shutting it down. Just like when we start our periods, right? Using the birth control pill to shut that process down puts us at tremendous risk moving forward. And this, the menopausal transition, so blending it, whether we're doing it with a birth control pill, which is something that really irritates me especially women who have had their tubes tied or their husband has a vasectomy and they're on the birth control pill to manage menopause. I mean, we've got better ways. <laughs> Read my book, The Harvard Fix. So, you know, we've got better ways, but also just, you know, prescribing more and more testosterone. There's more and more testosterone clinics. But what I've seen are higher and higher divorce rates, right? Physiology drives behavior, men and women, like an increased number of affairs, you know, increased dopamine, dopamine-seeking behaviors as well. Testosterone and dopamine kind of go hand in hand. So dopamine creates that, as you know, that, you know, excitement, right? That, that's that, that boost, that charge, that addictive, like I want more. And we're adding that, you know, for doing that, it's just a really important to know. And as physicians or as consumers, if we are getting testosterone and I do use some testosterone replacement, but I'm less, not more type of philosophy and also counseling, if you're starting to act in ways that you would not normally act, right, either it's anger, or you're thinking about, you know, the delivery man, or whatever it is, and you know, like, hey, I would normally not do this, and, and um, or I'm dating and going too fast, too far, you know, too far, too fast, I mean, like, hey, well, maybe there's something here with the physiology affecting my behavior, or this exogenous hormone affecting my behavior. And that's a powerful, this is a powerful area of study. Yeah, no, I think it is. And I think that, you know, it's like, we forget 
this is one thing I talk about in my book because it's so hard for our brain to keep in mind that, and it's this thing that you keep saying about physiology drives behavior, that you know, the experience of being the person we are and the way that we experience the world is driven by these chemical processes going on in our bodies. And, you know, when it comes to our experience of who we are, like the two key things, right, are neurotransmitters and our hormones. And those like create the experience of our personality and and everything else about us. That's a signaling software. I mean, that's what our brain uses to communicate. And you can't change your hormones and not change who the person is. And I think it's a blind spot that a lot of us have. I think that we kind of lapse into Cartesian dualism, you know, where we think about the mind, like this mind body split, even, you know, those of us who study the, the brain, like I, for, you know, it, cause it doesn't feel, that's not what it feels like to be a human, you know, with restaurant preferences and somebody who has, you know, likes and dislikes and a sense of humor, like that doesn't feel like chemicals and electricity. We forget that. And so then we do things like, yeah, we take, you know, hormonal contraceptives or, you know, these other, other things. And we forget that it's, you know, not just going to influence us from the neck down. It's like, it's going to influence what our brain is creating as reality. Hmm. That is powerful. I'm going to jump back because when you were talking about how birth control pill blunts that cortisol response and, you know, now there's the three month pill, right? I mean, that's been out since, oh gosh, decades, but I don't recommend it either. But what I just wondering and, and the increased risk of autoimmune disease with birth control users, right? And so here we're suppressing this cortisol response right? So that's our body. Cortisol is naturally, naturally, we need it to respond to inflammation and stress. So we need it to support our immune system. It's an, it's crucial to a healthy immune system. So, you know, again, we don't know, but I wonder if that's not part of the reason the autoimmune disease. I absolutely think it is. I mean, it, to me, it seems unquestionable. I mean, important Quarterlies and sort of the you know fine tuning the volume up and down in terms of the inflammatory response, and then to have that not functioning properly, it seems unlikely to me that it doesn't play a role in terms of autoimmunity. I'm 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 pretty certain that it must. The other piece of that is, and I don't know mechanistically if this operates through the activities of cortisol, but you know we know that progesterone progesterone is also you know also has a role in terms of regulating immunological responses because of all of the workarounds that the body needs for pregnancy. And it could also be the case that keeping women in a progestin dominant sort of, you know, hormonal state for as long as they do, never letting progesterone be sort of low could also be contributing to that in some way. And I don't know if it's like a, through a rebound effect Right, where once women are, you know, or like once women are naturally cycling, that their immune system just like goes crazy, or if it's something that goes on like during the process of having these like daily, you know, dose of progestin at the time. But I think that the progestins are probably also playing a role. And again, I don't know, you know, I'm not a a physician and I, I don't study like physiology, I study all the stuff that happens up here. I don't know mechanistically if the link between progesterone and the immune system operates through the activities of cortisol. I'm not sure. I don't think it does. I think it operates like on inflammatory activity itself. Like I think that that there's receptors on the white blood cells for progesterone is my guess, but I'm just not 100% positive on that. But I think that the combination of keeping women in a progestin dominant state constantly 
plus having dysregulated cortisol. I mean, it kind of creates the perfect storm in a lot of ways for leading to changes in inflammatory activity. I'm going to add one more disruptor to this because I agree with what you're saying is just, you know, and when we're on birth control pills, you know, and we're married, we're not using condom, but our body has to mount an immune attack to the sperm that enters, right? The leftover sperm, the, you know, millions and millions, if not billions of sperm that don't fertilize the egg, right? Our body has to mount an immune attack to that, as well as the viruses and bacteria and parasites, et cetera, that our vagina can be exposed to. And we talk now about autoimmune disease being a function of adjuvants, right? These outside immunogens, essentially, I don't know how to say this any other way, but help me here. But these outside immunogens that affect our immune system that our body's having to um, deal with. Yeah, exactly. And so that's like another thing that, so the more sex women are having, that's really interesting. I wouldn't have even thought about that. It's interesting. Um, you know, actually, we were just in the Netherlands. And in The Hague, this area of the Netherlands, they have this like seven-story building that's called Corpus. And you actually go through Corpus, this the body. You go through the body. I won't tell you where we entered, but at least we didn't go out that way. So we entered, and I, <laughs> it was so funny. And so we go through the body, and we, you know, enter the womb. And they do this great video representation of sperm needing the egg and the left, you know, like some sperm dying amongst the uterine or the fallopian tube, the the, um, cilia within the fallopian tubes and fimbriad. Like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, millions and millions going there, millions and millions of, you know, DNA particles, mitochondria and other, you know, whatever else is coming there, bacteria, parasites, yeast, you know, viruses. Like our body as women has to deal with that. Like, what are we going to tell our daughters? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. But it's fascinating from a medical perspective because I'm seeing this and I'm, you know, talking about it and I'm very interested in this. So it goes back to protecting ourselves, knowing, having informed consent and knowing the consequences of our choices. Yeah, no, absolutely. No judgment, right? No judgment. Right. No, exactly. I mean, it's just about having as much information as possible when you're making decisions because each one of us, it's like, just because you know that something might do something, you know, quote unquote undesirable, or it actually is undesirable. A lot of us make those choices anyway. We just know what we're doing. We know what we're getting into. Probably drink too many cups of coffee every day. And I know that it's not good for me and I do it. I do it anyway, you know, we choose our vices. That's we what do. I say. Yeah, you know? exactly. We choose our vices and, you know, in the, in pregnancy prevention and fertility regulation is such an important thing for women. I mean, it's been so critical in terms of, um, allowing us to achieve financial independence and being able to reach our educational goals and, and, and to just even to be able to just like dream big. And so, you know, for a lot of women, the trade-offs are still going to make sense but they should have all of the information and it will also allow them if they do decide to be on the pill, you know, at this point in their life, but maybe not that point or, you know, to do this and, and not that, um, to know what to look out for because um, not every woman, and I'm sure you saw this in your practice constantly, nobody responds the same way to the same thing. And it's because the way that these things influence our brain and everything else is going to depend on what your level of hormones was like before you started it the number of receptors you have for each of these different types of hormones, 
a bunch of things that probably depend on some sort of physiological chemistry that is, makes you a little different than everybody else. You know, your immune system, blah, 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 this and that, the way that your liver processes things. I mean, there's a million different factors that are going to influence the way that all this plays out in an individual's body's landscape. And so knowing what to look out for, keeping a journal, sort of knowing what the domains of influence are, I think can really help women start conversations with their doctors that are um, sort of like, this isn't working, here's what's happening, you know, like, let's try this and really sort of troubleshoot their options. So that way, if women do choose to be on hormonal contraceptives, they can find one that allows them to feel maximally at home in their own bodies. Absolutely. So what do you cancel these young girls or cancel your daughter? The last chapter of the book is called a letter to my daughter. And, um, I do, I have a daughter and she's 12. Um, and she's so embarrassed that I wrote a book about sex. <laughs> sex. And so my, my best friend is actually, um, she also is a psychologist and she studies women's sex hormones and decisions. And she also has a daughter. And so we talk about this all the time. And this, um, this chapter is actually, it's, it's a love letter in some ways to these discussions with my best friend and, 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 to, and to our daughters who we're thinking about and, you know, like, what do you do? And, you know, to my daughter, and as I do in this chapter, I really sort of lay out what some of the, you know, risks and drawbacks are. And here's some of the big issues you should take into consideration when you're making these decisions. You know, one of the considerations I talk about is age and how old are you? Because there's not a lot of research yet on what the pill does to the brain when it's still developing. And we know that the brain is still developing until women are in their 20s. It's like the most of the heavy lifting is done by the time a woman is 19 or so. But when a woman's brain, you know, when women are going through puberty, the brain undergoes a number of really important structural changes that allow us to be grownups. And, um, and sex hormones are like the head contractor in that remodeling project. Um, and so we don't know, you know, do, does taking hormonal contraceptives when the brain is still being put together, does that um, influence how it's organized? Um, and that's something that wouldn't go away once a woman stops the pill. And so it's just like something to keep in mind and to be aware of. Again, it's not something to necessarily get alarmed about, but just to keep in mind. Because also during these ages, these young girls are the ones who would have the most problems if they got pregnant. And so it's really, a, you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's a balancing act. And, um, and so, you know, one thing I would consider is age. I would consider um, history of depressive illness because um, especially in 15 to 19 year olds now, there's been a lot of evidence that's beginning to accumulate that young brains don't see, like they seem to be the ones most at risk for anxiety and depression when it comes to using the birth control pill. Um, so there's something about the brain while it's still developing that seems to be really sensitive to whatever it is that's, you know, the, the hormonal profile that's created by the pill. And so just kind of keeping an eye on that and being very careful with that. Yeah, these are some of the sort of big issues and just like keeping track of who you are where you are in life and what your life goals are, and then try to, you know, use the information in the book about the ways that the pill can sort of change what the brain is doing to make the decisions about, you know, at what times in your life does it make sense and at what times in life might it have to do something different. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'll encourage everyone to read that chapter, whether it's for your daughter, your granddaughter, someone you're mentoring, it's good to have the words and the conversation and the information to give informed consent. Because your doctor does not know this. Likely your doctor does not know this. I did not know all of this. And so this is important. This is groundbreaking information. As women, we have to look, okay, you know, we want to optimize our body so we have normal transition and get many 
of us are put on birth control pill, not for birth control. So, so that's where we really have to put our foot down and say, okay, well, what's the cause of these symptoms? And let me address that. And Sarah, I want to thank you so much. Now, people can get your book at Sarah with an H, so S A R A H E Hill dot com forward slash book and anywhere books are sold. So tell them also your Instagram and how to connect with you. As noted, my book is available anywhere that you can buy books and you can see more about me at uh, sarahehill.com. And you can follow me on social at, at Sarah E. Hill PhD. And that's my handle on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find me everywhere. So I look forward to connecting. But yeah, I mean, really, like if I can just say like one final thing, and that is that the book is about, is giving women information and it's about starting conversations and, you know, really having women finally have a language um, to be able to explain what's going on with them to to themselves, to their daughters, to their doctors, to their granddaughters, and really allow us to be able to better understand ourselves. And that way we can make better, uh, more informed decisions about our health. Excellent. Thank you. And show the picture, show the book. Oh, yeah. I just have the digital copy. So yeah, beautiful. This is your brain on birth control. So you all recognize this. And Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and sharing your time with us today. It's been a real honor to have you as a guest on Couch Talk. So I know this podcast has resonated with so many of our listeners. And I encourage our listeners today to comment, share, And certainly connect with Sarah on her Instagram and also connect with me on Instagram and let me know, post a picture of yourself with the book and let me know how you like it. So thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Keep up the good work. Awesome.